Hello and welcome to A Cast of Entrepreneurs, brought to you by the Entrepreneurs Forum. I'm Elaine Stroud, Chief Executive of the Entrepreneurs Forum, and together with Sally Cowling, our Head of Marketing, we've been talking to entrepreneurs from all over the Northeast about what it's really like to be an entrepreneur. We're getting the real insight into their lives and businesses. Well, welcome to our latest episode. Um, it's absolutely lovely to have be sat here in front of three amazing individuals. Today I have with me Toby Bridges, Executive Chairman of NVT Group. Welcome. Hi. Sarah Davies, founder of Crafters Companion and many other things, which we'll get into as the episode unfolds. Thank you. And Kimberly Turner, who's the owner of Double Eleven, which I've already described this morning as one of the most exciting tech companies in the Northeast and based in Middlesbrough. So welcome, Kimberly. Thank you. You're too kind. Uh, well, I'm kind now. We'll see where the conversation <laughs> flows. Um, so I think what we're going to kick off with is starting back to the early days and how you got into where you are today. And I'm interested to find out when you were younger, did you feel that you were and had entrepreneurial spirit within you? Did you always know that you were going to end up owning a business? And we'll start with Sarah. Oh, it's weird <laughs> to see where her eyes were going there. And um, Yes, I grew up always knowing that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I wouldn't have used a big fancy word like entrepreneur because I came from a little pit village in the northeast and both of my parents ran their own business. They had, a, they had still have it in the family, their wallpaper and paint shop in our village. So I grew up knowing that I wanted to run my own business because I wanted to be my own boss and master my own destiny because that's all I'd ever known. That's what I'd seen from my parents. But I didn't know what industry it would be in. I didn't know whether I ended up taking over the family business or what I would do. I just knew that that was the life. I was prepared. I saw how hard they were prepared to work. And my dad always said to me, if you're going to work that hard, kid, you might as well do it for yourself. And I thought, if you're prepared to do that, that's what I want to do. I'm going to be my own boss when I'm older. But it wasn't until I was probably my mid-20s that I was confident enough to use the word entrepreneur. When people say, what do you do? I now say it with confidence, I'm an entrepreneur. I definitely wouldn't have said it back then. Yeah, thank you. And Toby, from your perspective, you grew up in a family business as well, which you've then taken over. Did you always feel that you were going to go into the family business? Uh, that's a good question. I'm probably the same as Sarah, actually, is that, yeah. So mine, mine's a four generations business. Um, and yeah, no pocket money, had to work. As soon as I passed my driving test, I had to drive a van. Uh, so yeah, so it was always in it. And I think probably I always, yeah, I always wanted to, I think I always probably admitting it now would always want to have been in the business and therefore probably very similar. Sarah's that, you know, I, I wanted to do what dad did really, I think, you know, so I, and I, and I saw my, Great um, So my grandmother run a business before because she ran the business before my dad. And so probably it was in the blood. Although having said that, I went off to university, did a marketing degree, came back. And I think for the first probably 10 years and probably again, similar, I, I, I probably was joined the Entrepreneurs Forum 20 odd years ago. I felt a bit like an imposter being there because I wasn't truly an entrepreneur because I was probably just managing part of a business for dad. I mean, I think it's changed all now. So did I ever want to be an entrepreneur? I don't know. I think I just I want to get up every morning, do something new. And I think that's where I've ended up. And I've ended up here sitting with you fantastic people. So, Thank you. And, and then, Kimberly, you joined Double Eleven, which was founded by your brother, Lee Hutchinson. Did you feel, find when you were growing up 
that both of you or you had that entrepreneurial itch in you to set something up yourselves? I definitely didn't want to be like my dad. <laughs> my dad was a prison officer for 40 years at Franklin in, um, in Durham, so definitely didn't want to do that. My mum didn't work when I was younger until I was old enough to walk to school on my own and she was a receptionist after that at the, at the doctor's surgery that was local. So I think growing up, I was set really good principles about working hard, but I didn't really have a, a precedent set for where I was going to go. I think, you know, I did the typical, you know, what do you want to be when you're older? And I think that changed from air hostess <laughs> when I was younger because I like going on holiday and they obviously look nice, didn't they? They all had to be a certain way at that point. This was obviously a long time ago. Uh, then I moved up, I think, in, in senior school. I really liked my PE teacher. She was great. So I moved on to wanting to be a PE teacher. And then I think by the time I left school and, and wanted to go to college, I think it was only then when I was looking at all the different things that were available. And I thought, well, I'm just going to move into business. And from there, that's kind of where I put my focus um, I think Lee always knew that he wanted to work in video games, uh, but by the time he's co-founded the company with one of our tech directors, I was a chartered accountant at that point. I took a really unorthodox route to get there. Um, I didn't go to university, um, but I worked full-time every day and I worked full-time every night gaining qualifications. So by the time Lee started the company, obviously picked up the phone and was like, okay, you're helping me? And I was like, well, you're paying me. <laughs> so we had our nice little arrangement from day one. So the lovely thing is I've been involved in the business from day one, um, but it took me working a full-time job um, at Hargreaves PLC, which is in Durham. I was in their group accounts. I did that full-time job and worked for him on a night until it got a little bit unsustainable. Um, so he did all of his entrepreneurial flair and I did all of his boring stuff, um, all the legals, financials, commercial stuff. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a run, really wonderful journey. I definitely, if someone you know went to my eight year old self, is this what you think that you you'd be doing? I, I no no. And I think if I knew the size we were going to be now in the early days, I might have just ran off then because <laughs> it is quite a big undertaking now. I, I couldn't have imagined that either. It is. Kimberly, remind me how many people you've got this week. It's probably more than last week. I think we're about 372. About 65 of those are in our office in Kuala Lumpur and the rest are at our headquarters in Middlesbrough. Yeah, mental. So you've all mentioned some sort of family involvement in the businesses that you're in at the moment. How does that play out in the day-to-day running of your businesses. I was told, make sure you get a really good shareholder agreement in place if you were working with family. And uh, that was my old boss at Hargreaves. And I said, uh, said, it's fine. Like, we're really close. It's fine. We did obviously get a shareholders agreement in place. I think we've probably had two major ding-dongs, two major ding-dongs in 13 years, which were all made up very quickly afterwards. But um, I think we've done all right, really, for brother and sister combo. Yeah. It's great. It is. It is difficult. The, the the challenge is my dad still chairs our business, so it, he's he's not around as much. But back in the day when he was running it, and I was probably setting in command. Yeah, we had a couple. And and as I t- took over the business, um, we sort of argued about the direction of the business for one reason or another. Um, the the challenge is though, is you take it home, and then and you also, I think, I I found my challenge was is you you still act like father and son rather than mm-hmm. 
as you would do in a, in a normal business in a managerial capacity with a director or something. And I think that's probably the challenge and that's a bit on my shoulders. But I think that's the challenge is, is just recognizing that business is the business and then life outside is life outside. I have so many instances of my mother saying to my dad and I to stop talking about the business across the Christmas table or whatever it might be. So I think that's it. But otherwise, brilliant. And, and what a great opportunity I got to, to do what I got to do, to, to uh, get to do today. So. Is there other family in your business as well? No, no. So, yeah. So, in invariably, in a fourth generation business, there's lots and lots of shareholders. We, yeah. we, we, we proactively bought out the sort of the shareholders at the edge of the family all the way down. So, actually, now today, it's just me and my dad. So, that's been a good thing. My sister, Again, had to work in a warehouse, had to drive a van, did all that, but she went off and got a very sensible job being a head teacher. So she escaped from it. Um, so now it's just me now in the business. I have to say dad chairs on a quarterly basis. It, it's really odd for hours now because obviously there's this brother-sister combo within the board. Um, but as we've grown as well, there's brother-sisters in the business. We've got a set of twins. We've got married couples. We've got, and not people necessarily that have met at the company. Some of them have but some that obviously there's been a referral or, or what have you. So I think uh, we used to like the use of the word family when it came to the business. And then I think that started to get frowned upon at some point along the line. So we don't use that anymore. Really? It, why, why, why? I don't, I can't remember. I think it was like deemed a little bit cringe, I think. So we were like, okay, well, we're, we're people first. So we'll talk about that as yeah. opposed to us being like a big family. Because whilst that's, easier to refer to, I think, at 40 people. It's just not as relevant, I think, at, at the size that we are as yeah. well. But it's lovely to have all of these peoples and to think what we're bringing into the households. We did two cost of living increases last year. We increased everybody's pay, I think, in July, but backdated it to April, two and a half grand across the board so that people with higher salaries weren't getting more inflation because it's more about, you know, um, looking after the people that are on a lower salary and then we gave another 1500 And when you think that's four grand in a year and for a, a husband and wife combo, that's like eight thousand pounds and has, yeah. And it was separate to their pay rises as well. But yeah, so it, there's lots of family members in the company. Now we're nice and big, which is amazing. So yeah. It's interesting because we did a, um, a big piece of work a few years ago on core values and, and articulating those values on a bit of paper. And we had family down as one of the core words. And then where we ended up putting it was, it was one of our accidental values that wasn't necessarily something we wanted to focus on. And I think the reason we got, we had a lot of conversation around it is you don't want people who are family within the business. You don't want other people to feel like they are treated differently. Yeah. People that okay. go on yeah. merit, not because yeah, of where they are in the family. Absolutely. I remember working with a really big third generation family business in the States who very similar to using, they had oodles of shareholding yeah. by the time they got to the third generation, but they were all working in the business. But they were varying roles from managing director down to working in one of the stores. Mm -hmm. But there was this perception within that business that, well, you, you're actually not very good. You're only here because your family. Yeah. And that really always stuck with me of, because we had a lot of our family in the business out of the our four parents, our husband and wife team at our, our place, very similar to you and your brother, mm. except my husband's the accountant. He's the one who just right. leads a bit of business. I do all the fun stuff. He's the boring He does the boring stuff. <laughs> make sure we make money. The important he's, one. The important, he's the important one, but the one behind the scenes, I always say, I'm the one that gets to do all the, the fun glories. Oh, I'm definitely in with the fun stuff. I don't get left behind. Oh, I leave sand behind. No place for an accountant in the fun bus in our place. <laughs> I can tell you. But, um, but yeah, it's we, we had about... Parents, three of our four parents all work 
in the business at one point. Right. I think we have to be really careful to manage that messaging of, yes, I guess they are here because they're family, yeah. but this is how we're going to treat them the same as everyone else. Yeah. I, I think I always felt I had to work harder because you have to show because, you because I felt that. And again, it now that's to... great at people at a senior level. Yeah. Where you've got that wherewithal, it's the yeah. people who were not at that level yeah. who see it as an entitlement. Yeah, but I started at the bottom and came through. And I think, you know, I, and I've got two sons now who might be fifth generation, might not, because they want to play rugby. That's what they want to do. But uh, they're working in it now. And, you know, and I say, you, you've got to work harder than everybody else. Because, yeah. you know, and, and, and actually, I have a chief exec runs the business now, and he interviewed them for the job. I said, you know, don't just give them that. And, I'm not the boss, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah, so because yeah, because again, it's it's a great opportunity for them, uh, but it, they need also feel what it's like to be in a workplace, don't they? I guess you know. So yeah, we're reaching that point. Lee's daughter's turned sixteen in February. His son's fourteen, and then mine are about to go twelve, ten, and and seven. So yeah, I'm a little bit further away, and obviously it'll depend on what they want to do. But I think with video games as well. There's so many lovely creative parts of it. You could just be a tester. If you just want to come and work, be a tester. If you're interested in art, design, if you're a bit maths, you could code. And then there's all the other normal departments that are obviously in most companies, HR, recruitment, IT. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. No one's going to chain them to a desk and make them do it. But it's nice to think, you know, if they struggle to find work and they want to, yeah. it, to be able to think that we could offer that. It's, mm -hmm. it's nice. It's a nice thought. I found re really interesting what you were saying about, about the family dynamic because when, when I started the company, uh, it was my dad helped me in the early days. So it was 75% was me, 25% was my dad. And the same dynamic that you said between me and my dad. And the problem was my dad had only ever run very, very small businesses, two or three employees at most. And within a couple of years, we were a very different scale and scope of business. And so... A lot of my dad's thinking was a little bit outdated and antiquated, but because he was a shareholder, I felt like I had to make the time and space to hear him. And it was what, what was really difficult is our offices as well were right next to my mum and dad's house. Yeah. And um, I used to be working really long hours and, you know, nine o'clock on a night. And I remember my dad saying to me one, I think it was one Sunday afternoon, he said, I see you come sneaking out of that office locking the door and sneaking off to your car, <laughs> trying not to catch it. And he's sitting in the house waiting for me because he wants me to pop in and have a cup of tea yeah. and a bit chit-chat about the day. And he sees me sneaking off and I said, but Dad, you could could understand why that is because, you know, if it's nine o'clock, I don't, I don't want to go longer. And it wasn't until we had kids and they had grandkids. And they saw that I was, you know, the conversation around the Sunday dinner table wasn't about the grandkids. It was me dad's trying to take it to work all the yeah. time. And my mum had to say to him, Frank, stop it, because she'll stop coming round. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. She wants to come and bring the kids and talk family time, yeah. not spend every week an hour talking business. Yeah. yeah, I think it's important. We work with quite a lot of family businesses and it's carving out or deciding for yourselves, because it's your business, what you want that boundary to be between work and yeah. And family. And that's different, but it's up to you because it's your business. Yeah. Um, all of you have scaled businesses. And I'm really interested in understanding a little bit about that scaling journey and what perhaps some of the biggest challenges were for you along that scaling route that you took. Um, perhaps start with Kimberly. In you scaled massively in a short period of time. Yeah. What what's been the biggest challenge you faced along the way and how have you overcome this challenge? Yeah, I think the scaling was easy because you just add more people, add more people, add more people. What we didn't realise at the time we were scaling, what we didn't plan for 
is that a lot of our tools and metrics and uh, infrastructure, it, it wasn't actually fit for the size that we, we then ended up being. Um, but all of that really happened um, from 2020, kind of in the lockdown. We were um, hiring people to work from home. We were hiring people abroad who we planned on relocating. One of our games got into a bit of difficulty and we ended up in a bit of a litigation battle for about four months that year as well. So it was just a really, really difficult time because whilst everybody was getting furloughed, we were all in our busiest period. There was a, a lot of support that was needed to give to the staff. I was homeschooling two kids and that did not go down well. I headbutted the bifolding doors in the kitchen once out the way of everyone because I was just so stressed out. But I think what happened is we got to a point where we realised there was a lot of pe- too many people reporting to one person. The hierarchy didn't work anymore. Um, so then we had to kind of tell everybody and we were quite we're always honest about everything that we do with the team and kind of said, look, we're, we're not taking on any more work. We we're going to pause and we're going to do some housekeeping because we appreciate that things could be better. Our systems are no longer fit for purpose. So just bear with us while we catch up a little bit. And we were probably still doing a little bit of that now. So, yeah, that's pro- probably the, the challenge of scaling was easy. It was easy to find people that wanted to work in games and work on some of the great products that we work on. We just we didn't plan for how quick that was going to happen and by how much. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've had to, to backpedal a lot. So I think the next time we can see ourselves going maybe up to the 500 mark, we'll make sure we're ready for that in advance instead of just doing it and then making up for it later. Um, so, yeah, probably a little bit of a, not a regret, not necessarily a mistake, just didn't really see it coming and everything was just too busy. And, yeah, so, yeah, that'd say that was a big one for us. Yeah, I'm going to say, I'd probably say the same thing. So, yeah, we scaled really quickly before the pandemic and then the pandemic happened. And so, yeah, we, we grew up, we went from something like two to 30 million in two years, two, three years before the pandemic. And then we lost 80% of our turnover on April 1st, 2020, with the whole team still in place and all that. And that suddenly becomes difficult, I think, as well for me, if I'm really honest about it, it exposed our business model because we we were a supply chain management company, a managed supply chain for manufacturing sites, everything that they buy, essentially. And we created a lot of technology to help us manage that. And the traditional model for my dad's business and my grandmother's business before that, my great-grandfather's business was always the same model and that now doesn't work in our world and it became exposed and we've learned, I've learned very quickly from that. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, you just lean into the difficulty and I think now we're probably now, a couple of years on, how far on we are, I think we're probably in a stronger position ready to, to go again we're at that point where we'll start, you can start to see it coming again, you know. So that's what's exciting. But scaling is a, you know, it, it isn't a, a linear, straightforward trajectory. Invariably, it's up and down and up and down and up and down. You know, so you just you know, and and I think all my business life has been a bit like that. You just just as you're on the top, suddenly suddenly somebody comes and pulls the rug in some way, yeah. and you drop a bit, and then you just got to go again. But it's just that's just about yes, so leaning into the difficulty. So. Yeah, I, I mean, the the times at which we've gone through significant scale, we've had the same technological systems challenges. Yeah. But the biggest one that I think I didn't appreciate or know how to plan for was the the cultural and the people challenges that come with scaling. Because inevitably, you know, when you're a small business and then and yet the, the sort of people that come work for a small business and their motivation and how they feel about the company and they're so loyal and dedicated to the company. 
and that you, quite often they're there because they've been prepared to put in the graft and they've learned learned on the job. And then as you get bigger, naturally those people want to develop with the company and end up moving into leadership roles with people coming underneath them. But then are, are they good leaders? And that's the challenge that we've gotten. We just grew and grew organically and all these people, we were so proud of the fact that we were promoting from within as opposed to bringing people from the outside. And then it really hit me one day, we, we brought in a essentially a chief exec role and it'll be six or seven years ago. And he'd heard me speak about our business at the at our 10th birthday as a company. And he fell in love with the business. He was on our board at the time, fell in love with the business, left his old job to come and, to come and run this business. And then he did a three-month assessment on the business and he said, the biggest surprise for me is I hear you talk about the business, but then what I experience of what people are living out on the floor is very, very different mm. to the business that you paint the picture of. And it was a bit of a like a, a slap in the face with a wet fish because it is not lack of wanting the culture that I talk about. That's what I want the company to be. But it's it's getting lost in levels of leadership. By this point, those people sitting out there might be four levels of management below me. You can't lead by example. How do you do it? Yeah. And that's the biggest challenge I've found is in scaling, is having... Uh, not only putting the right people in, but, but having the right leadership skills to be able to lead and develop culture in the business. Mm -hmm. Because I, you know, I, I want the business to be as, as as I picture it. But then creating that reality through levels of management really challenging as you scale. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. So, what do you do to maintain the culture in the way that you want it to be as you've grown? Uh, our culture we got for free when we were small. It's it's a lot of people's full time job now. Um, I think I managed our HR function as well, probably till uh, March 2020. And then we had someone move into like a people manager role, someone moved into learning development manager and someone for recruitment. And then I just kind of sat on top of that umbrella. And it took till I think December 21 with this amount of people and um, I just put my hand up and said, I'm not qualified for this anymore. This is... This needs to be someone else. And obviously, you're at risk of being a bottleneck as well. Um, but keeping the culture, it's really, really hard work. There's, there's lots of things we do to try and, you know, get everybody together. It's hard, obviously, really hard in a pandemic when everybody's at home. But since coming back, our operations team put on, like, one of the things they do, especially for families and stuff that have relocated, they do a bus tour, the double eleven bus tour on the last Saturday of every month. And we just take the team somewhere nice. You can not go if you don't want to. You can go if you can. So where do you go then on this bus tour? Um, okay, so let's have a think. They've done um, High Force. They've had a day out at Whitby. They've done the Christmas markets at York. They've done just done the new Level X that's opened in Middlesbrough. It's like carton and this, that and the other. They've had an afternoon rock climbing. Um, they went ice skating in the in the winter. So just stuff, yeah. And I think our ops team have got the next few ones plotted out. Um, I can't remember what they are, but it's nice because a lot of at that amount of people as well, we've got about nine different projects. So you kind of get familiar if with the people on the project, but they're not necessarily all of the other artists in the company because you're just working with the artists over here. And then obviously you've got all of the support teams and stuff as well. So it's just, it's nice to be able to get everyone together. We used to, pre-pandemic, used to take everybody out for a meal once a month. So all the board would go, everyone, we used to go through all the restaurants in Middlesbrough, the oven, which I love, they do the best, Parmore. Um, 
now we can't even take the team out for lunch because there's just too many people. Like we have to make a big shebang out of whatever it is that we're doing just to even fit the whole team there. So yeah, and it's hard. It's really hard. Whereas that was just super easy at 40 people. But I think that the bigger you get after that, it is, it's, it's really hard. And do you measure the satisfaction of people within the business? Because that's, you know, it's crucial, isn't it, to your performance, how happy people are? Yeah. Do you measure that? Yeah, yeah, we have employee voice surveys. We try to have like a regular drumbeat out of them. So it's not just, oh, we're asking people how they feel, you know, all of a sudden. Yeah, you know, people, we make sure everyone gets a regular one-to-one. There's got their manager check-ins and stuff. Um, and we obviously check that all those one-to-ones are actually taking place as well. But it's it's really hard for for me and Mark, our operations director, even to lead by example with all of the departmental managers because we just don't really see people and everyone's doing what they're doing. So, yeah, it's, um, it is, it's difficult. I, I like to hope everybody's happy. I think one of the things you, you mentioned, Sarah, was um, the consistency between all of the different levels of management. That is a concern for me. But on our latest survey, that got really good results. And I was a bit like, well, that's good. Mm-hmm. But is that the case? Or are people just saying they feel supported by the manager and maybe people feel supported, but is the level of support different as well? So that's something that we're trying to to get some metrics around. So what we did that I found made a really, really big difference is I used to think culture was all about the whole, um, oh, we're going to buy a fruit platter every Wednesday or we'll let people finish early on a Thursday, uh, on a Friday tea time. And, you know, people talk about culture. When we talk about the staff about culture, they'll be like, oh, yeah, come get a pool table in the staff room. They think that's what it's about. And it's not. It's about behaviours and consistent behaviours in the business. So what we did is we we introduced as part of our checking process and uh, like the review the review process, measuring against behaviours, and we identified the kind of six behaviours in the company. And then within within those, we we showed what excellent looks like right down yeah. to like unsatisfactory, and that's the way we try to get consistency in behaviours between all the teams. And it's. It's silly little things that people do because they, especially when they've come from other companies. So I had one girl during the pandemic, uh, especially, she was managing, she was trying to support her staff. So she would be available to them 24-7, you know, and quite often she's sending emails to them or she's doing phone calls with them at nine o'clock on a night. And she thinks that's brilliant and that's a fantastic behaviour. And then the problem is I've got a young girl below her coming through management. and And so she is now you know, doing calls with some of them staff at nine o'clock on a night if they need it and emails and whatnot. I said, that's not our business. Yeah. One of the really important things to me in the business is people work really, really hard. I want them to switch off on an evening and have their evenings with their family. And you think that you're doing a great job making yourself available to staff at nine o'clock, but all that's doing is role modelling to the next level down. This is what we have to do. To be a manager in this business, you have to be available to your staff 24-7, which is a complete loggerheads with the behaviours that I want in the business. So quite often people, you've got to believe that you've employed good staff and they have good intent. She had brilliant intent in what she was doing, but actually the behaviours she was exhibiting weren't creating the environment and the culture that I wanted within the business. And it's really hard to lean into them conversations to someone say, I know you're doing this with great intent, but this is not what we want to do here and why. Yeah, and I think the culture piece as well has a lot to do with work-life balance now. And I think more than ever, um, people want that good balance between being able to work hard at work and then being respected to switch off when they're not at work as well. And 
we've got loads of people that go absolutely above and beyond, not because they, they're being forced to or that's just the way that they are and they don't switch off and therefore they want to put everything like that into work. But then we've also got a lot of people that do work incredibly hard and the, the, the quality of their work is amazing, but they're down tools at four o'clock every day and that's it. You'll never hear from them again. Mm. And that's great. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want. But I think, it, like you say, it ties in. There's the niceties, then there's the work-life balance, and then there's, I think, also like a general sense of belonging and where you've got clear core values, like you say, and everyone knows what boat they're in and they're happy to kind of swim in that together. Yeah, so talking about switching off, are you all able to switch off? How do you switch off? And are you able to carve out enough time in your lives to dedicate to yourselves and looking after your own self? So start with Toby. Yeah, I think for me, it, it, it just depends. Depends what's going on. I've never really seen work-life balance. I just see life. And I love my work so much that I'm, I'm happy working. But it is that balance about getting out and taking holiday. And I think particularly as an entrepreneur, is, is making sure that you do take time out and you do take holiday. Because you can get that point and you, I can feel it coming now at the point where it's a burnout stage. So, yeah, so 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 for me, it is, it's about just taking off, taking yourself away to do something you love. And the, the, the difficulty for me, though, is then trying to switch the brain off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because I can be out in wonderful Northumberland, walking in the hills and still th thinking about the business, you know, and it doesn't matter how beautiful the day it is, it's still thinking, and that's, that's hard. It's a, but, but that's okay. Yeah, You'll enjoy doing yeah, that. Yeah. It's if you resented the fact that you couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, and, you sh and, and, and that probably is the point then, isn't it, Sarah, is that you shouldn't ever resent anything that you're doing. Like if, you're doing if you're doing something you resent, then you're doing the wrong thing, aren't you? And that's probably about getting out of that. I think I've been fortunate not to have ever done anything that I resent because I've always try to find my own place in life, you know, get up every morning, do the things that I want to do, hopefully for the betterment of all the people around me and, and such. And, you know, so, uh, you know, like I said before, I don't, I don't really see work-life balance. I see life and trying to get that blend of just doing stuff like you love all of the time, you know? Yeah, and I, I really resonate with that. I, I feel like the right answer to this question is, oh, yes, this is how I get my work-life balance. This yes. is when I switch off. But if I'm being really honest, you don't. No. It's like you, but but I, but I choose not to because I don't want to because I'm quite happy doing that. Yeah. But because we get a lot of variety, it, you know, it, I guess the privilege of being an entrepreneur is, you know, no two days look the same. Mm. So what are you switching off from? Because if I'm switching off from having my head in the books, well, then maybe I'm working on the latest marketing strategy and it, that is a switch off one from the other. Yeah. I think it's a, about making sure that the sacrifices you make are never so big that you resent the payoff. Yeah. So I know for me, it was when I had young kids and, and my dad sat me down one day and he's like, I just don't understand, Pet. I, d I don't understand why you still go to America every three weeks and you do, you've got staff that can do this now and, and those kids are missing out on time with you and they'll never be little again and you're missing out on the time with them. And, and I guess that's because I, I, I'm living my life different to how he was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I look back when I, I was a kid and think, well, you, you were working really hard like this, didn't you? You instilled this into me and, yeah. and I don't, I don't. I feel like I've got loads of great time with my kids, and I make the most of the time that I have. And yeah. yes, I, I go to America. Maybe I don't have to do that, but if I did, I wouldn't maybe feel as fulfilled in my oh, life in yeah. my career. And then I'd resent the kids for the fact that I was yeah. missing out on being yeah. a great entrepreneur. Yeah. And I, it, it's just always about balance and doing and doing what's right for you, yeah. it's, and, and not being pres prescriptive. Everybody is a different journey and feels a different way. Yeah. You've got to do what's right for you, not what. I shouldn't do that because my dad said that or other people saying yeah. you're going to burn out well I don't know if I feel like I'm going to burn out yeah. like you see you can feel it coming yeah. you can do something about it yeah. nobody else is in your body and in your head they can't make the decision for you yeah. 
I think that's such useful advice because there's so much around us that's bombarding us with, you should be doing this, you should be reading this book, you should be, you know, having time out, well-being, et cetera. But it's really, that's such valuable advice. Do what's right for you. Yeah, I've always found that even though I've worked really hard all the time, I'm very, very good at not living to work, but working to live. So I I love seeing places. I love doing things like my friends take the mick out of me. I tried to see a friend the other day and she was like, well, you have all of your weekends booked. But that's my, obviously I got divorced when I was 31, I think. Um, so, you know, I benefit that my, my two boys go to their dad every other Friday and Saturday night. So, Yes, it's like <laughs> heaven. Um, so yeah, I I plan stuff for that because that is gold dust for me. And um, even when I was a, a single parent for about five years, when they were really little, um, you know that, and it was only twenty four hours I got at that point. So it was always like, right, I need to tidy the house, I need to walk the dog, I need to get all the food shopping in, and then I would think I need to cram all that in. Then what I used to do is. Uh, do all of that with the kids. And then the second that they went, I'd go out for drinks with the girls and then I'd wake up and I'd feel like dog poo the next day and then I would just rinse and repeat it. But now I, I use the time definitely more wisely. Um, I like to go away for the weekend. Uh, next weekend, we're ticking off a, a bucket list item for my partner. We're going to Dublin to see Bruce Springsteen. So even though I'm not a big fan, I'm really looking forward to that. And then like you said as well, you know, I make the most of the time that I have with my kids. So whether that's a trip to Flamingo Land or whether we're at the cinema, we go out for a nice dinner together. Um, and, and the weekday nights, the the children do so many things. It's like I have to put work down anyway because I'm I'm at present. Yeah, I'm not sitting on the football pitch for two hours in the freezing cold or whatever. So I think my I do a good job of of live to work, work to live. We benefit from the fact that. You know, everything does happen in office hours. Um, nothing happens on a weekend. The games industry is very Monday to Friday. Even if you're working with America, no one's contacting you on a weekend, which is great. Um, and then Christmas, we have a, a shutdown. We normally finish in around the 15th of December. So that first week of Jan, and it's just dead. The industry is dead. And it's one of my favorite times is Christmas. I feel like I can really prepare yeah. stuff. There's always a week where I can take the kids to school on the morning and come back to the house. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? Have a coffee? Do I turn the TV on? Like, you know, but yeah, I, I, um, I feel, I feel like I've got a really good balance. I think probably at, at points in the past I haven't, but I think. The waves that you talked about as well, mm. where, you know, you just think that you're doing well and then yeah. some, there'll be a, a big storm comes along and then you'll have to ride that wave. You know, things have obviously been difficult and you do stupid hours and that'll go on for a few weeks or whatever. But I, I quite like those things. I, I like playing the martyr as well. So I like hate them, love them, hate them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that you all seem quite happy with where you are in your lives at the moment and getting the balance right. In terms of getting advice from other people. Have you used mentors to help you in your journey? Or is there any particular people that you would lean on to get that external perspective to keep you in check? Yeah, well, um, yes, is the answer to that. Yeah, I've used entrepreneurs for, for most of my mentors, and I have mentored a, a bit in that. It was interesting, I was thinking about it before when we were talking about dad in the business, who, you know, who, who was a great influence in my life and, and again, where we got to. And, and I, I always felt a little bit guilty 
as well about wanting a mentor outside of work that wasn't that I was like you know and, and then when dad stepped out of the business as I took over that's when I got my first serious mentor from the entrepreneurs forum actually it happens um, and I've had a, a number since then we've talked about this before Elaine I, I don't really like the term mentor or mentee I think it's usually just a relationship with with good people around you even though the conversation today you will learn something from that I, 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 one of the things that I'm, and I would encourage anyone through the forum to be to, to, to take up a mentoring role or, or to go uh, and, and, and or take that role on because you can learn as much back the other way from a, a mentee and it, it's good because actually it either positions you as to where you are in your own life but it just makes you think and there's some great people around so you know it's great to have a network of people who you can go to do I have people I can go and cry on their shoulder to probably not so much I think that's that's my cross to bear but it's to go and just share experience and even just sitting here today and listening to the journey of these two people around me it's just it's it's just interesting and it just reminds you about where you are and i think that's that's the most important thing so yeah it's it's, it's, it's important to have a network of people to talk yeah. to i think um mentoring is of paramount importance yeah. but it's finding the right person at the right place in their career to be able to mentor you so i'll give you a great example i had a young girl i, I did a talk one day and she queued for ages to speak to me and she came up to me and she just said will you mentor me and, and i you know, I've got the business to run. I've got two young kids at home. I've got an investment portfolio to manage. I've got a fledgling TV career I'm trying to build. Uh, and I've just stared at her and I was like, I, 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 I can't, I haven't got the time. And she's like, I'll come to you. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. The problem is, I don't actually think she knew what she wanted of me. Yeah. She In her head, someone said, you need to have a mentor. And she thought, Sarah Davies, she'll be great. I'll ask her. Uh, with, with no kind of consideration of what do I want and how do I want it. And then on the other side, I can give you, there's a, a young lad, he worked in our warehouse and he wanted to, he had aspirations of starting his own business and he wanted to run a, a buy a van and run a transport company. And so he went and chatted to me dad. And me dad's retired now. He he doesn't have anything to do, God, we're going, you know, and, and so... Ian had the foresight to think, oh, well, I'll chat to Frank about it, who's got all the time in the world yeah. and all the experience to be able to share with that guy. And he's become like an adopted son to me, Dad. My dad's mentored him through that journey. And I think it's about choosing somebody who has the right skills and experiences, but is in a place in their life they're able to do it. Yeah. And I think the best example I can give of where someone's mentored me, it's been great, is when I joined the den. And I was terrified. I don't know how to be a tracker. It was the TV side of it, the investment side of it, the due diligence, everything that went with it. And and Tuka had done my um, screen test. So the only one I'd met and I, and I really connected with him. So on the first morning, I walked up to him and I said, hey, Tukes, remember me? He said, yes, I liked you. I said they should hire you. I'm pleased they listened to me. So well, thanks for that. <laughs> and, and I said, look, is there any chance you'll mentor me? Because this is a, a whole new thing for me. I don't know what, I, you know, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. Yeah. But then I explained to him what I want. I said, so I was thinking every time we finish a pitch and we come back to the green room and we sit down and have a cup of coffee in 10 minutes, can you just go through how that last pitch went and where I've done good and maybe it's where you would have done something differently or the questions I asked and just give me a bit of feedback? And I think the problem is feedback is so valuable to, yeah. to moving forward. But I would never just randomly offer someone some feedback. I'm not going to walk out of here and say, do you know what? I tell you, I think you did on that podcast. <laughs> yeah. We just don't, you, you don't do it. It's condescending. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. Whereas I created an environment where I asked him for the feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I told him exactly how I wanted it and I fit into his life. I'm not asking him to go out of his way to do something. He's sitting there having a cup of coffee doing nothing. Can I just chew your ear off and you yeah. tell me to come skipping in the green and say, right, Sarah. So when you were doing that negotiation, you know, oh, I would have done it like this. And, and I've developed such a great relationship. And he now 
mentors me, not only on the den, but in business. Yeah. Got you know, fifty years of business experience. Yeah. But I'll I'll take him for dinner once a month. Yeah. And we'll sit and chat over dinner. And but it's create it's finding the right person at the right place in their life and telling them this is what you expect and how you do it. I'm sure that young girl would have turned up if I'd if I'd said I'll mentor you, she'll turn up the first session, you just go, How can I be better in my business? Yeah. You know and then she she hadn't created it. Yeah. I think that's what I'm saying about having a network as well, though, because you will need different things. things so when I think about the mentors that I've had to inform and elsewhere, you know, some are about specifically about business issues. Some of them might be about, well, I, I don't know an awful lot about financing. I'm going to go and you know, ask me how they got to a, the point in their life. Um, or, you know, I had a mentor specifically around family business and, and that side as well. They're all different things. And it's finding like that's it's, it's important to go from day one and think the thing I wish I'd done more earlier was create a network like that quicker, faster, because you can get to a lot of stuff and a lot of answers because people already have them and have already done it. And I think particularly, you know, and they say this always, say this on it, particularly in the Northeast, people will open the door and have yes, like, a coffee with it. You know, there's a, there's, there, there is a strong, and it's not, it's, it, it's, it's relatively easy to get to people in the Northeast because it's not a big area, you know, and using organizations like ours, we, you, you can do that. Um, and yeah, that you, you absolutely should, but it's knowing what it is you want yeah. and why you want it. And that ability just to, and it's a cup of coffee and a chat. It's not necessarily an ongoing, yeah. you know, you know, or every now and again. I don't think I've ever had a mentor, but there's definitely a dragon in me that comes out <laughs> once a month. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I'm, you know, listening to you both speak, I didn't, there was no one really that I looked up to. There was no one really that was in business. I think... You know, I've just took all of the steps I've taken, knowing that I want to get to the thing that's at the end of it. So what do I do at the end of that? Right, well, I'm going to do, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to do this, complete that, and then move on to the next thing. I think the last 13 years, I, do, I think, you know, working with my brother is one thing, but our operations director, Mark, is like my brother from another mother. So it's like having two brothers, um, obviously one's family, one's not. Um, and we have a really great relationship. And I think whilst I don't think either of us mentors each other, we have a lot of respect for each other. And, you know, where one of us needs a little bit of support or there's a particular problem or we're trying to navigate through something, um, always having him by my side has been really important over the last, well, I think he joined after two years, uh, so over the last decade. Yeah, I think that that's probably my most important Work and relationship, yeah. Apart from that, in a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, we we're getting towards the end of this podcast. I can't believe how much no, we've managed to cover so far. So let's just keep going with a couple of final questions. And um, the first one is: What would you be doing now if you weren't doing what you are doing? I'd definitely be working finance somewhere. Yeah, I really enjoyed my job at Hargreaves. Uh, really fast-paced environment um, that I went to when I was qualified. I suppose that was at that point, qualify, get a job in industry. I'd done what I'd kind of set out to do. So I, I don't know. You know, I think uh, when Lee asked me to, to join him full-time, I was about to have kids and I was thinking, oh my God, this is so unsecure. That, like there's no real income. I'm, I want to have a family. And I, I couldn't look him in the eye and say, I, I, I don't believe in him. But had he not done that and had maybe I just kind of supported him, maybe it, it didn't work out. Maybe that was just the end of it or whatever. Yeah, I'd have probably just stayed in that finance world somewhere. I definitely would have spent a, a few more years at Hargreaves because I, 
I really enjoyed working there. Yeah, it was really cutthroat and the, the people were really good. So, yeah, who knows? I think if I wasn't doing this business, I'd, I'd just want to do some other business. I, I just knew it was something and I just fell into the craft industry, whether I'd be running the family business now that my sister's taken over or whatever, I don't know. But I, I know I'm pretty sure I couldn't work for someone else. Yeah. So, so if you sold the business though, would you start again? Would you just go and start again? You know, that's such an interesting question. I get asked it a lot. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, I love that business. It's yeah. part of me. Yeah. And so, I, I wouldn't want. I feel like I wouldn't want to sell it because if I sold it, I'd have all this money, but that wouldn't make me happy. No. But I wouldn't have this business, which makes me really happy. So, so yeah. what happens at a point in time? Because this is this is the eternal it's question really of the entrepreneur. I think when when does that point come? And I, and I remember I, I won an award years and years ago, and as part of that, they asked what your exit strategy was, and I remember thinking. I'm going to have to pretend here and I'm going to have to make up an exit strategy because <laughs> not, I'll, I'll not pass the interview and then I might not win the award. And actually, I, I just ended up being really honest. I said, well, I, I don't have one because I don't want to exit the business because I can't think of anything I would do yeah. that would make me happier. And, and I don't I don't have the appetite to want to start a business again from scratch. I scratched that itch of being involved in early stage businesses with the investment portfolio, with what I do in Dragon's Den. I, I get, but it's like being an auntie. Being invested, I've been an auntie. Yeah. You know, I get to give all the benefit of my experience and whatnot, but then I leave them with the crying baby and they have the sleepless night. Yeah. I, and so I, I, yeah. I love all of that. But Do I you find that difficult because you've been there and done a got t shirt. Yeah. And you probably know you can. I could, fix I, it. I could pick that up and just fix it. Yeah. I, I How do you find it to stand away from it or be at that right balance point of. And so if I stand on the outside periphery of the business, yeah. I can give them advice yeah. and I have to force myself to step away. As soon as I start getting a little bit too far into the fold, it frustrates me because I just want to do it for yeah, yeah. And I know that. And, and I honestly thought, oh, you know what? They tell me that the statistics, I remember someone telling me when I was in my early 20s and I joined an investment group in the Northeast and they said out of every 10 businesses you invest in, uh, seven of them will fail. Yeah. Two of them, you might get your money back and you want to hope that that one that does well, does well enough to make your money back on all of them. Damn. And I thought, well, that's a load of rubbish. Because if I'm investing in one, I'm choosing them really carefully and I'm going to make sure I, I help them make it a success. Yeah. And I've had a really rude awakening. And I know why that statistic is what the statistic is. is right? Because you're not, I'm not running their business no, for them. No. And, and I could go and run their business for them, but then why would I want to go and run a little £200,000 company to help them make a profit there? That's taking time away from running my business away that that needs me to be successful. Yeah. And that's the really difficult part. Yeah, Is there anything you've learned, Sarah, from investing in other businesses that you've brought back to your business? Endless amounts. Do you know and, and it's I get I get asked this a lot and it's I probably would give a different answer to some of the other dragons because I sit there and I spend about half a million a series on Dragon's Dens. It's I don't set myself a budget, but that's roughly how it seems to have worked out. And I think I could take that half a million and put it in my own business and be in control of turning that half a million into a million. And I don't. I put it into these other people's businesses where it's far more risky and I'm not in control of it. Yeah. So you think, well, why, why would you do that? Mm. If you had to have it, why would you ever do that? But then the, I'm very careful in who I choose and it's the people. And each one of those businesses, it's not actually the half a million that I miss. It's the time that I have to put into those businesses. But I always get so much more out of it than what I put in. Yeah. And it's the same. I, I'm not going to develop as a person, as a leader anymore, putting another half a million into my own business. Yeah. But I'm developing as a person and leader, 
putting those half a million into them businesses. And I really hope that me one in 10 comes to and really good and, and it becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy and I can self-finance my investment portfolio. But even if it doesn't, I will make sure it does though. But even if it didn't, the personal development I've got, yeah. those entrepreneurs get a lot from me, but I'm getting equally as much yeah. from being with them as what they are getting that, from that's me. That's the whole mentor mentee thing again, isn't it? It is. You, you you Karma is a wonderful thing. You yeah. get back yeah. way more than what you yeah. put in. We, um, we don't have an exit strategy because we're all just enjoying the journey. Enjoy the journey. This is what we want to do. It's, you know... What I do in my career as an individual now, I could never have dreamed of. So why would I want to stop that? Because it continues. There's no top. It just keeps going. Mm -hmm. And we've turned down some crazy offers. And I remember we got one. I was sitting there thinking, Jesus Christ. Like, are we, are we saying no to this? Like, looking at Lee, thinking we're saying no to this. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's all part of the journey. And none of the directors want for anything. You know, just get a normal salary. 13 years we've been in business. No one's even got a company car. That's because I'm really tight. <laughs> you know, but there's, there's little things I think now will make some some little niceties, some little lifestyle adjustments. Um, but ultimately, we're in there in the fold with everybody else, and that's exactly where we want to be. Yeah, for the foreseeable. So definitely no exit strategy for us. Well, that's interesting because the next question, and it's the final question, moves on a, a few years so we're talking your 70th birthday party wow so <laughs> it's a few years away i know so imagine you're at your 70th birthday party you've got tuka there and all your friends family what is it that they're going to be talking about your life at that party so yeah so uh, my journey has always been about supply chain so you know my business 150 years old it's always been in supply chain i would love my challenge right now I would like to tend to is changing the supply chain challenges that the NHS has. And I'm scratching the surface in a very small way at the moment. I would like to make a dandy nurse. So on my, on my 70th party, somebody will say, it is amazing how you changed NHS supply chain and the way it works and the way they manage their assets to generate all that additional cash that will pay for the nurses and the doctors and everything else that I've done. If I could get to that point, and we're, you know, we're scratching the surface, a tiny 1% in at the moment. I, I think, think you'll get there. Keep scratching. That is a very worthwhile aim. And I think my great-grandmother, mother who started the business with my great-grandfather, would probably pat me on the back and say, nice one, son. I'd be, I'd be a more, if that was me saying that about myself, I'd, I'd be well enough right now. That's really nice. It's really, really nice. Mm -hmm. How about you? What are they going to say about you on your 70th? How did she do all that? With a broom up our arse and dancing on her head. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think um, I don't really care what anybody says. I think I'll care more about how I feel on the day. Yeah, as long as I feel like I did my best job, then I don't need anybody else's words. It's all how I feel. Yeah. For me, I just hope I've had an impact on other people. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. I, I, and I remember when I first started out in business, I was in my early 20s. I used to watch Dragon's Den then and every business show going and I would read everybody's books. And I remember reading Duncan Ballantyne's autobiography because I knew he lived yeah, in our area yeah. at the time. And I, I can't I can't remember what was in the book. I can't remember what he said or, or what his journey was, but I can remember how it made me feel. Yeah. And I remember reading that book and I, and I remember thinking, well, there's nothing special about him, is there not? Mm. You know, he didn't, he hasn't had any opportunities in life that nobody else would have. He wasn't brains of Britain. 
there was nothing special, yet he had all this drive yeah. and ambition and knew where he wanted to go and he made it happen. And I, and I sat there thinking, well, if he can do it, there's no reason I can't yeah. do it. And, and he, the way he made me feel had a huge impact on my career and personal development, self-belief at that stage. And that's why I love to go out and do podcast recordings or talk to people because I, 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 if people can look at me and go, oh, she's, she's not that special. There's nothing really unusual about her. But look, she, you know, I love what she's doing and, and that can inspire other people. And that's the big thing for me is I just want other people to to take something away from what I do and it make them life better. They're like, yeah. I said that once. I don't feel like I've got, I don't give anything back. For example, like, you know what, if you worked in the NHS, for example, you're saving lives every day or you're doing whatever. And I, I remember thinking one day when I was going through a bit of a, a personal awakening, I was thinking, I feel like I need to to give something back. And I, and I did little things in different ways. But there was one day I'd, I'd walked out of the office to go to get something and one of the lads that I worked with had walked along and he was saying lovely things and basically said something along the lines of, I, I'd probably be dead now if you didn't give me this job. And I was like, wow, that's really impactful. And he was having a really hard time with his mental health and stuff. And then I thought to myself, I am helping people. I am helping people. We're creating a great environment for people to grow and um, to to have a great career and to to change paths and and all the rest of it. Three hundred really exciting jobs in Teesside. Yeah. That's that's yeah. three hundred companies that wouldn't be getting fed if it wasn't for what you were doing. Yeah, it's really nice seeing them with their hoodies on, walking into the town every day to get the sandwiches. Not from Marxies anymore, sadly. I was really really sad about that, but um, but yeah, I think. Um, I do get a nice sense of helping all of those people, even if I'm not physically doing anything. And I, I, I didn't realise that I was helping people in my career until he said that to me a couple of years ago. So, yeah, it's nice. So I know Elaine said it was the last question, but I'm going to sneak one last one just for the audience because we will have people listening who are maybe thinking about starting their own business. They don't have anything established yet what's the advice that you would give to people who are thinking about making the leap maybe from a corporate job to go and work for themselves that's a question for a dragon that you don't have all (laughs) you know i always say you've got to do what's right for you i remember when i and you've got to do for the right reasons. I remember when I had first had the kids and I had Johnson baby groups, you know, and, and when the other parents, the other mums would find out what I did. And I, I used to say, I did sales. You know, I did But then when you find out you go in business, you have people going, oh, do you know, I've been thinking, I'd love to be able to, to have my own business. So I, you know, so I can pick the kids up from school on a night and do that, <laughs> picks that around. And, and um, you know, so I, 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 and I, I, I'm a dentist and I've had an idea for a product. So maybe I should just, you know, not go back after I've had the kids and, and, and start this business. And they look at me because they're expecting me to say, yeah, go on, you should do it. And I sit there thinking, you have no bloody idea mm-hmm. of the sacrifices that I make. You know, it's, it's a little bit like social media. On social media, you never see the reality of what someone's going through. They put the nice, shiny thing out. I think it's the same in business. We, we The outside people see the nice, shiny thing. Yeah. They think, oh, you have this great lifestyle and you won't pick the kids up from school when you want and you can have fancy. They don't see all of the the other stuff that goes behind the scenes. And I think it's such a small proportion of people who are 
prepared for that reality and uh, and we'll yeah. give the because we, <laughs> we came through a family business you saw yeah. you saw the sacrifice your parents made you lived that yep. so you know what you're going into and so whenever I'm, I see people coming into the den the people I choose to invest in you can get a read on them within seconds have they got what it takes are they prepared to make the sacrifice have they got the drive the ambition the push yep. for in the darkest of days they're still going to push through and make the success yeah. of this business because yeah. if they are I don't care what service, product, sector, whatever they're in, if they are wired that right way, they will be successful and I don't mind helping them on that journey. But if they're doing it for the wrong reason, so it all comes down to dig deep and have a real look in the mirror of why are you doing this? Yeah. And are you really cut out for what it takes? Because do you know what? Sometimes it's just really nice to take on that salary at the end of the month and get 30 days holiday a year and, you know, and, and really not, yeah. not have the worries on your shoulders that some of us do. Yeah, don't, don't. I would I would never encourage anyone to start a business because they say to me, I want to be my own boss. Mm. That is just never going to happen because there's always an accountant or a bank or a finance person <laughs> going, you know, have you done this, this, this that or the other? So you, you start a business because you found something that's going to create a dent in the universe and that's what driving, that's where the passion should be and that's what gets you through the dark times. That's what allows you, as I said before, to, to lean into the difficulties. But when it's good, it's nothing better, you know. You do get to determine your own life, but that's not to say there's not all these other factors around. And yeah. I, I entirely agree with what Sarah says. I mean, I, I wake up every morning being scared witless that I'll have to write a CV. And <laughs> I've never done that to me. I spoke for one the other day. I just haven't got one. And, 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 and you know, and I think you've got, it is a certain type of person. So, yeah, don't, don't ever start a business just because I'm going to be my own boss. It's just That's just not the case. Do start a business because you're going to change the world. Yeah. Hard work, hard work, be absolutely relentless and just pure grit. And I think if you don't have those three things, it'll, it'll never work on top of on top of what everybody else has said. Thank you so much this morning. That's been an absolutely flying, passionate, interesting hour. So thank you very much for your time. So thanks to Sarah, to Toby and to Kimberly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Tune in next time for another exciting cast of entrepreneurs. 